0: This is for the action takers, creators, status quo challengers, those in love with the process, hungry for knowledge and questioning everything. Here to optimize today and fulfill the potential of tomorrow. Why? Because it's in our nature. Welcome to the Pure Sport Project with your hosts, Grayson Hart and James Dollar. Smith, aka Nagi, aka Carlton. Welcome to the Pure Sport Project. Bloody good to see you, bro.
1: Yeah, my bro. Um, haven't heard those names in a while, especially Carlton. But no, I love it, my bro. It's so good to see you, mates. Um, been too long, my bro. And I think the last time I saw you in person was in uh, Edinburgh, bro. So it's whew, it's nearly nearly ten years ago, nine years ago. So both come a long way since then, and made him so proud of how far you've gone bro it's amazing and the culture you're creating and, and your products and you're changing lives it's just good to catch up man.
0: Nah thank you so much man and from two fellas who made their first ever New Zealand rugby rep team together I remember how much that meant to us both and I still remember so vividly to this day you and I sitting in the hotel room And then there was a a meeting at whatever time it was, probably like 11 a.m. or something for the team announcement. And you and I were a couple of the only dudes at that trial who had never played in or represented New Zealand. And that under-19s team the year before they had won that World Cup, they absolutely cleaned up. And it was pretty much the whole same team. And you and I were trying to crack that. And I just remember us both being in the same boat, wishing each other luck, but it was so funny because we are both the same position, but we had connected and we got along so well. And I still remember, bro, you were playing on your off your iPhone or, or your phone, Kanye West, Estelle, American boy, and me and, and you were like, just there not really talking. We got up, shook hands, wished each other luck, went to that m- meeting room. And then I remember, man, it was like I, uh, tears of joy, both of us. And we both went outside. I think you called your mum and dad and I called my dad up. That was a special memory. So we've both had very different paths since then. But, man, I saw how what that meant to you. I saw how much you had put in to get to that point. And it's been honestly unbelievable to see the journey you've had, and uh, uh, it's inspiring for many to see someone like achieve, but then stay at a level that you have for such a long time. So bloody good to good to catch up, man. It's been too long, but given a fair bit of insight into our connection there. But I'd love for you to just give us a bit around where it all started for for Aaron Smith.
1: I think for me, it started just as a. You know, it sounds a bit generic, but like a Kiwi upbringing and a um, good working family household and fielding in Manawatū. And my mum was a teacher. My father had a few jobs and worked hard, but they were both, you know, very uh, impactful on me on my life. My mum was a very positive loving, caring sort of parent. My father was just like a good Kiwi bloke who enjoyed having a beer and played cricket and rugby and we were sort of like best mates. He sort of took me everywhere with him. So all his, all, like hang out with his mates and they'd have beers and go to the pub and hang out and just like was in the circle, you know, hanging out with my dad and then he took me to all the cricket and, and rugby and growing up watching him play rugby and I kind of took till I was about 10 or 11 thinking... My dad played, like, president's grade, like, it's like social, old men, rugby, but, you know, when you are young, your dad's your hero, so I was like, jeez, you're the man, dad, and then I was like, why are we going to your game, but then we go watch the top team and have to pay a couple of bucks to get in, and I was like, aren't you in the best team? He's like, nah, son, nah. So, yeah, I grew up around the club rooms, and then I was a high-energy boy who didn't really like school, but loved sport and my parents really pushed sport for me and just played a lot of cricket and touch and rugby as I grew up. Wasn't outstanding at footy at high school or school, but I loved it. I sort of grew up in the era and when I was two with like the Hurricanes had like the backline, bro, like you know, uh, Jonah, Tana, Cully, grew up watching them and then obviously a huge All Blacks fan growing up and kind of had a choice around sort of 15 where I was playing cricket and rugby and Dad sort of said, hey, we can't keep taking you to everything, so can you kind of pick one? And I picked rugby, and he loved cricket, and he wanted me to kind of probably follow cricket a bit more. But I said, I want to be a halfback, and can you help me? And that's sort of when I sort of fell in love with passing. He sort of said, you're not going to be big. But he knew to harness me was everything was around competition, and passing was sort of my way, and a little bit of therapy for... young, high-energy boy who had a lot of doubts and sort of fell in love with passing and uh, I like put a lot down to that and my dad would take me down the park and and then like I said around my mum, like her positivity I missed all the rep teams when I was growing up and felt like I had a chance and just couldn't do it, you know, I was too small or played well but didn't tackle just all these, and then uh, sort of very lucky when I was growing up and my high school, the Whitelock family came to our school and his father pushed coaching and development and goal setting and that, And I kind of came in at the end of sort of George Whitelock's era and they were a very good team for a co-ed. And then I kind of got in there very young and my high school years were pretty successful and I developed a lot of things I still do to this day. I've actually <laughs> got my red book here, got all my...
0: That's the classic red book, bro. It doesn't matter how goals. far the man's come, bro. Still got that old school
1: Got my goals <laughs> and all my training and Yeah, so, so cool. yeah, old habits die hard and that's something we got when I was yeah, fifteen. We had to get a red book. We had to write goals. We had to write down our training and food and yeah, I've got I've got all my red books at home. It's quite cool to flick through, but a lot of things from I learnt at school and then obviously as you go and get more exposure and coaching but it um yeah I got lucky with the, when I went to high school and got some great exposure and, and kind of it, it, when I left school the first kind of two years out I went from kind of an okay player to where I felt like I was like oh I can mix it with these guys and didn't say I got over my doubts, but that was sort of my journey in my childhood with sport and then the dream of trying to play wasn't really professional, but it was to try and I wanted to make the senior A's at my club it was my dream, was to play in front of my dad for our club at Johnson Park. And, yeah, I, I did that pretty quickly out of school, so it was cool.
0: Nah, That's amazing, man, and I think it's such a cool reminder that sometimes, like, the most inspiring People are uh, the people right in front of us, and I love to hear how you speak about your mum and dad. And it speaks to you know, the first people you went out and called was your mum and dad, and uh, when you made that New Zealand under 20s. And so, from going from you know, having that aspirations to play in front of your dad for the A team, and down it was it, um, was it, is it Fielding? Was that the club? Yep,
1: Fielding Yellows.
0: it's pretty amazing when you like set a goal and then what 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 was it like when you started to hit those little goals and ambitions were you setting new ones and and going after them
1: well it was uh was a bit rocky like i kind of i met dave Rennie my seventh form year and everyone was getting academy contracts or planning their future and sam Whitlock was in my year and he was going to canterbury and he had like his uni, Lincoln, like he had it all sorted and I was like, it's getting to like August, September and First of Things finishing and I didn't really have anything going and Dave Rennie said, would you like to join the academy and two, and turbos and stuff and I was like, yep, and signed so my little contract and... I thought I cracked it and, you know, got my five K contract for two years, I was pumped and I thought I was (laughs)
0: rich. Better than mine. My Auckland Academy one was one grand, bro.
1: (laughs) But it was funny, it was like you got taxed on that and then you uh, I am grateful for it, but it was funny, man. Like it was
0: It was just the opportunity, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I was very lucky though, like there's a a whole lot of us homegrown boys who like Aaron Cruden, Kurt Baker, Andre Taylor who hung around and we really were just training and going hard. And, you know, my goals were to make NZ19s. And that was the first real eye-opener for me, first year out of school. And I remember going up to the trials and they had this ranking board and I was like fourth and fifth for everything, like speed, fitness, skin folds, bench-proof squat, like all of them. And like I knew I should have seen it as a marker in the sand, but it was like, pretty clear and obvious and I could play all right. I played all right in the trials, but I was like physically way off. And yeah, so that, yeah, I didn't make that team. So like you said with our 20s team, did the take our bags to the room. If you don't make the team, please grab your bags, get on the bus. So why I was so happy when I made 20s is I went through that, that year. And like I said, like when I got home from that camp, I was like crying with my dad and my mom, like, I'm sick of this. I'm just going to play club rugby and work, you know. And But then I, my dad said, well, you're still young. Give it a crack and stick at it and set some new goals. And that was a real turning point for me was I want to make NZ20s the next year. And then that process of going to my trainer and saying, hey, I need to drop some skin folds. Like I wasn't big, but I was a little chubby Maori boy. And uh I remember my skinnies were playing up, they weren't like yours, boy. Oh, Superman I used to call you. <laughs> uh, you were always edge your top off, bro.
0: <laughs> That was one of the few attributes that you know <laughs> I was okay with, the, the low body fat. But other than that, bro, I think I, I used to get annoyed at you, man, because I would I would beat you in all the fitness tests and like in the strength tests. But then on the field, bro, you were just a better rugby player, and that's where it, well, that's what that's what we were there to do, you know. <laughs> yeah, nah, man, it's
1: it's. Uh, well, I gotta. That was that a, but it was funny because I learned a lot from you when I was there because it sort of showed me at twenties like you were like, I don't know, power cleaning one twenty and stuff and benching a hundred and. 10 and 20 at like 19 and squatting the house and I was like, okay, well there's levels to this and you'd played super rugby already and played NPC it was like, you know I remember taking parts from that going, holy heck like, I can't, but I need a lift there and it was like and actually start lifting <laughs> like, <yeah. But laughs> I remember that very clearly, bro, but that 20s team was, the, was a big one for me and, and a big turning point but I wouldn't say it was smooth sailing after 20s either, to be honest, to my next part of the journey anyway.
0: Yeah, and so tell us, from making that under-20s team, what was the feeling for you? Because I know, you know, you and I chatted and we were a couple of the only guys, like I said, that had never made a New Zealand rep team. And i had had a, like, pretty colourful and interesting journey myself, you know, a lot due to my, my like, upbringing and the areas I grew up in, the schools. And so when I made that under-20s, that was like, what like man this was like my dream you know like i used to see guys wear the adidas three stripes on the side and the with the like new zealand under i think they had the new zealand under 16s and 18s and 19s and that was just i actually like idolized those dudes and some they were like my own age you know i was like damn seeing them get the kit and all that and like you know i had those aspirations that i was like going after to try and achieve that but talk me through you gave everything you you had those knockbacks you had those failures you were crying at home with your mum and dad and you know feeling oh man am I do I want to keep doing this what was the feeling like for you when you made that first a uh, New Zealand rep team
1: it was massive because I'd put like a good year in of work and I was like the first time I probably was we're like disciplined for a like a substantial amount of time. Like I had a really good club season, played really well, was starting to fill out, starting to get, like seeing the training help on the field. So I could always sort of see the game well, play. But like when I was getting fitter, I was able to be more impactful. When I was getting stronger, my pass was getting stronger. And in the tackle, I was getting a bit more confident. Not like my tackles are big, but I felt, you know, a bit of strength training, you felt more I could go in and chop better and it showed like, yeah, hard work pays off and that 20s team was like a a big explosion of just joy because of all the pain and all the setbacks. But I think I wouldn't be sitting here playing as long as I had if I hadn't had those setbacks because like you said, those guys from 19s, they actually all played schools and stuff together too, you know, like they were like all boys, you know. We walked in and we were like... Me, you and Jackson Willison and other guys that were like the outsiders kind of and then we became a real tight team but I remember early on it was pretty clicky of boys that played schools and 19s together and they had all these memories and well, I've been here the trials in <laughs> February and March you know so that's probably why we got on well and others that were new too you know so but I think that was the best thing that and I remember it to this day because I knew when they read the team out bro that because it was alphabetical, because I'd been for it the year before. I was like, Matty Cameron is a C. And it was like, Ben Afiaki and then it jumped straight to D, Ash Dixon, and then it was like, and then your name came, and I was like, there's only three, heart- there's only f- was there three or four in the room?
0: I think there was only the three of us by that point. They'd cut it down, hadn't they? Yeah,
1: and I remember when yeah. they said Matty Cameron, I was sitting in near the back, and I just dropped my head like, <laughs> I was sitting there just yeah. like, <laughs> Because I'm Smith, I'm like second to last. It was like Aaron Smith, Sam Waller. It was like.
0: That's those, but that's those. Like, I don't want to like probably just that little glimmer of like wait, just wait. <laughs> I
1: was just sitting there and I was like, boom, and then it was like, yeah, and it was like, Ben Afiaki, and it skipped C, and it went Ash Dixon, and I was like, I was like, oh man, and and it was so awkward because I remember, so I remembered instantly like how the joy, but I remembered. Watching the boys get up, and I watched Maddie, He was front of me to the left, get up and walk out. And I was like, "That was me last year." So don't be. I remember in the '90s, bro, and it stuck with me forever. When we left the room, they shut the doors, and they just all went Aah! and like you could hear it as we were walking away. And I was like, oh, "That's never happening to me again." And so when I when it happened for us and that I just sat there and I was like. Cool and shaking hands, but I was like pretty straight. I didn't want to be, you know. I'm pretty over the top <laughs> of my emotions some a lot of the time anyway. So I was trying to be pretty coy then. And then like everyone left the room and um, said goodbyes, and then everyone was on the phones to their families and that. And but yeah, like you said around the the black Adidas pants, the Trekkies, the hoodies, the shorts and the boots. Like you know, I had one pair of boots for a whole season back then. You know, it was like. That was it, eh? And then we were getting the new preds. I still got them at home, brother. My face. And then uh, they need to bring those ones just,
0: back, eh? Hey, they were the classics. Bro. They are
1: mean, and they had the tongue thing. It was oh yeah, but it was that whole World Cup for me it was like a it was like a dream come true. And like to go to Wales, you know, to play really well like we did. And I got a real love affair the uh, like Millennium and all that when I play in the All Blacks. But it's only only because of that six weeks we spent in cardiff that was like amazing you know
0: now nah, that was an unbelievable experience i don't think we could have asked for a better place to go because the welsh love their rugby and they, they they have a such a like love for the all blacks and new zealand rugby and so they welcomed us amazingly didn't they and for a couple of dudes you and i who was the first time ever with that fern on our chest and just being like so buzzing to be there I don't think we could have asked for a better place to go. I mean, we got billeted out for a evening or a day with a family, remember, but for with a Welsh family. And I'm still in touch with that family to this day, man, and they're really amazing. It's so cool. And then I moved over to this side of the world and to play for Edinburgh and then Glasgow Warriors. We play against the Welsh clubs, so like Cardiff Blues, where we played a lot of our pool games at the Cardiff Blue, Cardiff Arms Park, didn't we? Like Argentina, Tonga, ireland i think and yeah man like so special occasions at any time i'd go back there and so i know what you mean in terms of how that that holds that special place and i still remember we won that final and um we bloody tore it up didn't we against england that day there was like i remember we went (laughs) We all went to the supermarket the morning of the final, and we, because there was no, there was no alcohol. We went, and we we're obviously very strict, and we we're all like fully brought in, no drinking the whole time. And we're like, man, but like if we win, we want to have a bottle of champagne. So the boys had gone and bought bottles, had them in uh, our bag. I
1: remember Rins was not happy when we were like, he's like, where did you get those? We're like. No, I don't know. We just had them. I don't know. Someone gave it
0: to us. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that was led by old Luke Braid, wasn't it? The man yeah, was feeling was like, Brady. he was like, Oi, I'm going to go get champagne. <laughs> I still remember looking over at uh, Wrens when they started pulling that out of the bag. I was like, holy shit. But I think he, he sort of was like, oh, whatever. Yeah, those are the days. But I remember my dad he had cancer at that point and my uncle had paid for my dad to come over to watch us play and i still remember h- hugging him in the final uh, after the final in that stand at the osprey stadium swansea and then i remember any time i'd go play there because i played there about seven or eight times over my time with uh, edinburgh and glasgow and i always look up at that spot in the stand where i hugged my dad because he passed away probably six months or so after that but yes it's, it was a amazing experience man and, and and one thing you know that stands out to me with your journey is there was a lot of you were never the the star player for, from a young age like you're obviously an amazingly talented rugby player but as you said there in your own words you were small uh you said that the, your defense wasn't like your your biggest greatest attribute you said you're a chubby little mouldy fella and so like your your strength and they, they weren't like weaknesses but you were never like the top of the pile in terms of like being picked in those rep teams and stuff i know that after that world cup you know you had you had the opportunity and you played with the man or 2 Turbos and you actually played really, really well and you had an amazing connection with Aaron Cruden. But I was surprised that you never got picked straight away for a super rugby contract. Do you feel, again, that looking back now, that was potentially a blessing in disguise to keep you driven further?
1: Yeah, I think that was the – it was still the era of uh, saying, like, yourself a bigger halfback – They were still projecting with young talent. It was like a 90kg halfback, kind of can make tackles, jackal, run through tackles kind of thing and when they ran. And my game wasn't like that. Mine is is I'm a Wii player. I'm about getting the team around the park, building connections with my ball runners who are good, that how do you like it? And sort of my strength was always about putting people into space instead of putting myself into space. And I think... That was the thing. I'd get all this feedback at turbos from the Hurricanes or the Blues at the time was we need you to get bigger and fitter and stronger, and that doesn't work. You know, like, okay, put on weight quickly. Well, then you're smacking two protein shakes, or one before the gym, one after. You're probably not eating real clean. And then my attitude wasn't like training – like, I got off, I'll be honest, I got off 20s and I thought I was the man. I was like, oh, I've cracked it. I'm in 20s. I'm going to walk into a wider squad contract next year. All my other teammates have, if not super rugby deals. Like, our 20s team, like, a lot of guys made super rugby. Everyone made it at the Mitre 10 Cup. It was like, yeah, and then it, I made the turbos, played all right. We didn't win much my first year and second year, but, you know, oh yeah, my young talent are still talking about me saying, yeah, yeah, got a bright future, but it's... Like, at a professional level, like Super Rugby, I was way off, like, my times and stuff. And when it came down to, like, that third position, it was like, nah, you're like... The Hawke's Bay, Chris Eden was, like, fit, big, strong. And our games probably matched up similar And in, in the sense of, like, who's the better upside? Well, the more physically ready guy. And I was, like, a finesse halfback. I, I play different. I am play fast. But at the time, I probably didn't play, like as fast as I do now. I'd play like that for spurts and then I'd have a bit of a break because <laughs> I had no cardio capacity then, you know. And, yeah, I missed the Hurricanes wider squad in 2009, which gutted me. And then I got a hernia at the, in my rep season that year and then rehab from that. And then in oh, 2008, after 20s, I broke my leg. Worked hard to get back from that. And I was like... I was still pretty cautious on it and then 2009 I got a hernia uh, at the end of the Mitre 10 and I saw two years of injuries that put me out pretty much all off-season where you would probably build as a young guy your game and then in 2010 I got back but then I sort of was like I'm going to just try to get as fit as I can and play my game and hey, maybe my opportunity is actually not in New Zealand, it's somewhere else. If I can just play good enough rugby, NPC, can I get over to England or France or just someone see that, hey, I could impact like this. And that was my thinking. So I got as fit as I could. I kept my weight around 80 to 81, Try to build my strength up and built my fitness, cardio was big then, so MAS running was the thing, and I just did heaps of it, and then it kind of transferred to, oh, well, look at this, we can actually play at speed with a player like this, and it kind of was how I sort of shaped my game, and then I got a, but that was the big one for me, was I couldn't tell these guys I'm not going to be able to play the way I can at 85 kgs, like, I'm better at this weight, I know I need to work on my tackling, which was a big talking point as well so I sort of really did a lot of work on my tackling with the turbos and then I actually found out when I made the odd tackle early in a game my running game would come alive because you know you take a hit early you get into the game but yeah like once I started enjoying tackling I always enjoyed communicating the defense organizing but when you know as a nine sometimes you can't talk this gap you just got to fill it and I didn't like doing that but now I love doing it I'm probably in the line too much not putting hits on, but you know, not covering the backfield.
0: The old head in the spokes technique, bro. That was uh, that. That's a scrum half special, bro. They say you put the head to one side, use a shoulder, but we say this is one third, this is three thirds. You just go. You know. <laughs> bro,
1: this is hard. This <laughs> hits shins and quads, and that they go down. Yeah.
0: To the young kids at home, we don't we don't recommend this yeah, this tackling But when they're
1: yeah. really big, just get in there and be – trip up trip them up yeah
0: dive at their ankles real late so it's too late for them to move and then they'll flip over it's easy he's right <laughs> got to be brave <laughs>
1: yeah
0: yeah Now, nah, man it, i think one of the trends that i'm seeing here is that there was a, a love of the game and there was a relentlessness to improve and also like an understanding of the power of like goals and and having that sort of visibility and accountability of what you're trying to achieve, and and I think an awareness of what work ons you know things that weren't yet your strengths that you could develop into strengths and and that was one of the things I I noticed as your career went on. I just saw the fitness levels that you had were unbelievable man you know like I when you were playing super rugby regularly and that that is an unbelievably fast paced man I remember when I made my super rugby debut at Eden Park and I was I think I was 19 and again a bit like you I was like thought I was the man I was like fuck yeah I've made it bro I remember running to a ruck and I'd only been on the field i had gone on with like 20 to go or something and I'd been on the field for like five minutes and the game had just gone non-stop and I was running from a wide ruck to a wide ruck and it was like the seventh or eighth phase five minutes in bro and tears was coming down my eye. I was running I was like (laughs) because I, I you know how essential it was for us nines to just be at the ruck and get the ball away that was it it was like get the ball away and I just remember how yeah man that was intense so I I remember seeing you, because I know it was something that you had identified and you were working on, you were developing, but I, I, I think it, there must have come a point where you, you got to an understanding of what you needed to do to be at that that level. Was that, was that something that had unfolded for you?
1: Yeah, I think there was a clear, obvious moment for me, and it was I'd gone down to the Highlanders in 2011. I was Jimmy's backup. Oh, I beat out Sparky. And John Roman's in for the second position. So I was Jimmy's backup. But I remember training all year. Oh yeah, and I was watching Jimmy and I was like, okay, this is our best halfback in the country. Okay, this is what he does. And I was thinking, oh, there's some things I do that are better than him. Okay, well, but there's some things he does that he's very good at that I can't do. So and then I started I actually stopped comparing myself to players and trying to be players. It was a clear moment I was like, oh, I'm gonna what is I wrote down what is, like, my game in a nutshell. And it was, like, pace. So that's, like, I'm not the best at fitness tests, but in a game I can get to a rut quicker than anyone. Well, I try to. And I can chase in in the game, and when I'm competing, I'm fitter than my scores say. And I've got way better at fitness tests, but I still won't win
0: them. I can tell you that as a fact, bro, because I I beat you in all those fitness tests, <laughs> yeah, and you are exactly. always way quicker at, to the right. So it, it's it's about the game, man. It's not the stats. It's what happens on the field.
1: Yeah. And that's where I think, like, the, all these young guys are coming through, and they're all gifted. They smash Broncos. They do all these things, but... Rugby's played between the lines. It ain't played in a gym. It ain't played on a running to cones. It's played. I, I like if I'm chasing the ruck or the ball or the phase or a support line. I find it and I do a lot of work to. So when I get to that, it's even easier. But that moment for me, I played the Crusaders. Jimmy was having a rest. Our season was like we weren't going to make the playoffs, and our resting Jimmy he had to have his All Black rest. I played the Crusaders up in Nelson. And we beat them pretty good. And it was like a clear game for me that it went I knew what my game looked like. So I played with pace. I used my skills, run, catch, pass, and I will I want to have huge work rate, communicate well, and back myself. And that's always what I say to myself. It's like a it was like a big key note. But the funniest thing is after that game I wrote down goals in the next five years I'm gonna do this. And it was pretty lofty, but I remember I did it within two, and that was the scariest thing. But I was like, so like, this is how I play, this is my dream, and if it doesn't happen, well, I'd read a lot of books and talk to a few people, but that dream could happen in 10 years, and yay, but if you don't put it out there, if you don't have the, if you write real lane goals, I want to start three games, or I want to, but I put these goals, and it was clear. It's like the next year, I was like, I want to be the starting halfway for the Highlanders Depending where that was, Jimmy was still coming back. I want to make the New Zealand Maldives, and I want to make the All Blacks. And, yeah, it was just, like, crazy. And come 2012, you know, I did that, and it was like, now I need to set my goals again. And what, is, what does this look like? And it's always been, yeah, like, people, my mum always said to me, dream big. And, like, you hear a lot of people talk about, like, like lofty goals and that, but, like, you know, and numbers drive me, like, the amount of games, and I knew what ticked. But, like, the older I've got in my career, like, in times like this in my pre-season, I sort of create these narratives in my head of, like, the year that had been. I remember things people say, articles, oh, he's old, oh, he doesn't run the ball, you know, he can't do the same at the Highlanders as he does at the All Blacks. I create these narratives in my head, and then I use them as fuel. But then I always go back to my five things that I know – this is when I'm at my best, I'm nailing my five things. And the first three are the key for me is my pace, my skill set, and my competitiveness. And they are like the, the big three for me. And the last two always are in the in-game. But that's it for me is being fit and fast or just what I call sharp. So i moving to the passing, looking, scanning on the way, execute, pass, run. What's the move? What's the situation in the game? Nailing my skill set and then compete for everything. So that's why I go psycho and ballistic when we win a penalty, because I am moment to moment. I'm celebrating, guts it if we miss a moment. But, yeah, just that's the best. All the hard work you do Monday to Friday is to play the game, and that's what I love the most. And But I think that goal-setting and you need to create narratives in your head to drive you, and mine are sometimes negative and the negative ones are always the positive ones, but it's some slights aren't ones that people would go, well, that's not that big a deal. But to you, to me it is, and, like, that's fuel and then that narrative around how I want to be remembered and, to, you know, I was always available to play. I was always always turned up. Like, people talk about how the All Blacks turn up to Super Rugby and they use the first few months to cruise. I always sort of prided myself on, like, I sort of kicked in the gear off the bat like started well and then you build into your campaign not like use the campaign to get ready for the all blacks i wanted to be a highlander that i showed up and they're like oh you got you had a good christmas break and extra nah i've been doing the mahi check this out yeah let's get to training i'll show you i have not missed a beat while you guys have been training for eight weeks i've been i've been doing the same but just not here and i always prided myself on that and the more i got gotten the Highlanders and the longer with the leadership stuff and the more games you play, you get experience and then you try things and you add things to your read book, your mindset. Like I just love preparing for a game. I love preparing for campaigns or seasons because it's the ultimate test. Is, it's not even the games. It's the preparation. It's the, the discipline. It's the sacrifice. And, you know, as a rugby player, like people, we have a great life. We get paid very well. We travel the world. But people don't see, like, we miss birthday parties, weddings. And for me, I'm a father of two now. I'm, uh, like, this year, or like, the 2022, I was gone from, like, July till December. So the burden my wife has for four months of being a solo mum, like. And the hard thing is during Super Rugby 2, to be honest, bro, is they're a solo parent too. We're, like, you're sort of, like, in your own little world, and and as much as I want to be like, oh, when I come home, I leave work and at home. I don't, and it's hard to have that balance and commitment. You always feel for your family and your friends because you you're. A, I heard Kobe Bryant say it once, like you don't have friends or family, you have your job. And uh, I'm not like that dire as Kobe in the sense of like how committed he was, but. You know, when you are with your family in that, in the back of your mind, you're like, I need to go stretch. I need to go do a sauna. I need to pack my bag for tomorrow. I need to prep my lunch. You ain't 100% there. And that's that's the hardest thing. But my drive is like, whenever I put my mind to saying I set goals, I'm like 100% on, on board with that. And I think with the goal setting, like I've, I set goals for life too now, like being a better husband, I want to be a good father how you are as a son you know your goals change it ain't all just that like you got to have both but the sacrifice our families we go through too we sacrifice a lot to do what we do but our my my wife man she's a warrior and the amount of mahi she does with our boys like yeah you feel for two boys and i'm on the facetime and she's got one on her arm one screaming one (laughs) and you're sitting in a hotel room just like oh yeah just had training she's like i don't care (laughs) I got I got to go bye it's like oh man
0: no nah, man but but I think what stands out to me and and what I hope and I'm sure a lot of people are hearing here is that there is a gratitude within you for what is available to you and through that gratitude I feel this is my little and in philosophical interpretation right now of Aaron Smith's there's been that underdog who had dreams and believed he could do it. And he had these amazing parents that taught him the meaning of, you know, hard work, like your dad talking to you about your rugby and your passing and your mum saying, Dream big. So there was there was an, an understanding in you that you could achieve amazing things. But there was knockbacks along the way where you weren't the best, you didn't make the teams, and so that you always held on to this. There was a dream and an opportunity and a belief but there's this underdog and i feel the combination of that too has created like a powerful mindset and it's almost the love and nurture and what was instilled in you around hard work and and goals and belief but also the tribulations that life's throwing at you because not many people stay at the level that you've been at performing at the level you are performing at and like getting better and better in any like it's it's a minute percent of the population that perform at that level and i think those are the a couple key bits that i'm taking away and i I think it's amazing that you're able that you've got the awareness that you can reflect on those things and i'm grateful that we're able to talk about it together because A big part of pure sport and my own personal journey is learning about, you know, the mindset and understanding of who we really are and what we're really all about. For you to sit on this podcast and share with, from the heart, absolute gratitude for your wife and how she cares for your boys while you're away doing, you know, putting in an amazing opportunity and like, you know, the bright lights of being an All Black and an international rugby player. And the first thing you're talking about is. The, the grind that your your wife's putting in so i think it's cool to get an insight into the mindset and i think i don't know you might not it's probably a part of this underdog mentality that you've got but i don't think you maybe realize and and, and i'm sure you'll look back on one day but there is a special mindset that you've got that not many people have because not even there's few all black greats that have been able to perform absolutely as consistently as you and I think a lot of people can learn from that and and then one thing I wanted to go into from that is they say there's a 10,000 hour rule and I'm not saying it's like exact 10,000 hour but but they have this concept that they say it takes 10,000 hours to refine and like really hone a skill And, and the skill that stands out for me and I'm sure for most others is like your passing is unbelievable. And I look back when we were in the under 20s together, And we had Andrew Strawbridge, who was our coach, and he was like hard on us, man, with our coat, our passing and our technique. And I just remember in training and stuff, you and I, we would be doing the reps and whipping away passes and we'd wanted to get like bang on the money. And it was funny like, I think we shared we, we shared a love for passing, like it's kind of a weird thing. But like, we actually just loved whipping out like a nice tight spiral like see, and getting like, it right bang. on the money. And and it's I feel it's only a feeling that a scrum half that loves it knows. And we would be I remember you and I would run back from our rep and would be like high five each other. It's pretty crack up now thinking about it. We're like, fuck yeah. Because you and I both shared it. But but the reason I want to ask you about that 10000 hour thing is one of the things I'm learning about it is there's a real difference with 10,000 hours of gr- like feeling like you're grinding and slogging to 10,000 hours of of doing something that yeah like you're working hard or you're, or it might be challenging but you love it you're immersed in it how important do you feel that element is to you as a rugby player and being able to hold on to that love because I still see as you play that love and that passion for the game. So, how important has that been for you?
1: Yeah, look, I think I've done. I've, I've heard, the, I've read a few books around the ten thousand hours and that. And when they talk about how like how long it takes to trace and like and outliers, they talk about it a bit. The book and bounce and other ones. I I, I looked at it for me, and it was like when I was fifteen to like eighteen, I probably covered. I did a lot of passing, and I got like got a lot of coaching sort of six form as well. So when I was like sixteen, and like I sort of covered maybe four thousand hours before I left school, I reckon like four thousand good just repping. And then I think like between sort of eighteen to twenty three, I really I nailed off because I got to a point where because I wasn't perfect even when we were playing. Like it wasn't, it still isn't perfect in my mind, but the sense of like mastering a skill of when I throw a pass, I know what happened and why it did that. That was like 23, 24, and I was in the All Blacks and that. And then I remember in an off season, I was getting to a point with it now where I was like passing without thinking, reacting. I see myself under pressure, executing, not thinking, and that's total, and that's the mastery of your skill. And that's the one skill that I would have nailed 10,000 hours on. By that age, and then between now and then, you're chasing little things. You're refining my ball strength, my grip strength, my flexibility in my wrists. My pass isn't because I'm big. It's because it's a fluid motion of whipping and creating torque, as I call it. So I kind of tweak my wrist hard as I come through, and then I like rip both thumbs and My left hand, I chainsaw hard, but that's my pass. It still comes out on the 45, like, all good, it doesn't dip. But that was a big one for me. And just having the coaching along the way, like Yogi Van Ewan, Mick the Kick, I met him when I was seven form, and he showed me more drills about creating more torque. And then, yeah, like, coming across you, you had a, I, I took something from you around your right leg would be really close and your shin bone would be near the ball on the angle. And then you were able to create rooms where my leg would be like that. So you'd get right under it. And I wasn't flexible enough. So I had to work on that. And then I remember that clearly from your shin angle under the ball was like that. And mine was like upright. So I was like, well, that's why he's bigger than me. But he's creating more power because he's staying lower earlier. So you're able to stay lower through the pass. And the power's going through, not I'm going up and through. So I've got no balance of power. And then I'd like, you take things from people and spotting, but yeah, like I remember clearly, and then yeah, just the repping. And I think I watch a lot of rugby, and that, and just I knew my strengths and what I loved about rugby. And it was about where's the space, teaching people, oh, okay, I'll show them clips of, say, a Blues defense or something. When we get to this point, this defenders, they defend like this. They're not going to get in the head back out, run here. Going to my best ball runners, so I'd always create good combos like the Ben Smiths, that Jennifer Zells at the moment. Like guys like that, they know how to run and know what I see, but I can see heaps, but if they don't see what I see, it's nothing. So it's dead information. It's like, oh, look, we could have scored five tries. Well, I need to build those combos with ball runners, you know, and how do boys like the ball when they do run? Do they run in and they bounce with it late? All those combos, my passing can be mean, but if the connection, I, he gives me a look, that look means this. Those little tweaks are like, that's, that puts you over the top. So everyone can, or anyone at a top level can throw a pass at a 10 and hit a wall and go boom, boom. It's the being able to both be on the same page. And then it goes, I look good, but he looks good too. And that's, that's the little things I reckon around that, like... Your best ball carriers connecting with them. Your tens. How do they like it when they're under pressure and kicking? They want it more on the right when they're kicking to the right. If he's kicking to the left, he might want it more on his chest so he can get it to his foot quickly. Those little things help, and like I see, you, you kind of said, that. Like passing is my strength and my game. My whole career is built on my pass, and I just never like I get. A bit of stick in there because I don't look like I run much, or I might have one or two carries. But why would I carry the ball when I give it to Artie Sevilla or Rico and then they get game line? Is that, is that if I have a sniff and get tackled and then there's no halfback at the next ruck, or sometimes you have a sniff, we get turned over, I get turned over because <laughs> no one's around me. So
0: I think it. I think it comes back to what you are saying before. Like you knew, you know your top five things, and you yeah. know what to refine and to better and there's a quote out there i can't remember who said it but it says it was clarity precedes mastery and like having clarity on what it is that are your strengths is one thing and then having clarity on how to develop and progress those strengths is another and i think one of the things i'm learning in life is business now you know running a business there's so many like Areas that I can try and put my time and energy into, but it's exactly. So what's your main thing? Yeah, it's like I need to know what my strengths are, and and where I am in my business career is you know where Aaron Smith was when he was 21, 22. and he would have been like, okay, Jimmy Cowan is amazing at this. You know, I, I've got remember I mean, Tani Alatupo bloody uh, the, the unbelievable talent he was. You know, you've been seeing all these kind of players, but. Aaron Smith had clarity on who Aaron Smith was and what also probably clarity on like where you needed to improve and develop strengths or turn, you know, work-ons into strengths and you just went after them. And I think, again, that's something that I'm taking away from this and I hope other people are. It's like, know where you're putting your focus, set your goals, you know, Aaron Smith, still got that notebook, bro hundred and what hundred is it 117 test matches uh hundred and
1: thirteen I think something yeah holy very grateful
0: 130 still filling out that notebook I'm sure you're still looking at those strengths and looking at what your work ons are and so I mean it's yeah man uh, it's a true insight into like that that clarity and the understanding on how you can not let well, identify, well, firstly, identify strengths, but continue to keep them as strengths by progressing them, I think I think it is, is an amazing insight into what's allowed you to be who you are.
1: The one thing with that stuff is like, when you're like, say, if this is like young rugby players or sports people, it's like, now I feel like people are really, because I've failed a lot when I was young, missed teams and I was getting a lot of feedback around how to get better and stuff. But I think that grew me... Immune to like the feedback hurting me or taking it personally. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I was getting it all the time. Oh, you didn't make the team because, you know, this and that. And then you didn't make the team because it was this and that. And then, but I think when it got to like professional and it's quite ruthless and just like, you need to improve this quickly and or this, or you when you tackle on your left, your head goes there. So you're blind. Like, taking that, but I didn't like look at a coach and go, oh, that's mean or, you know, how I feel like some of these new age kids can't take take feedback. But if you as a young player or sports person or business person or whatever, just take it on and the, the sign is like, take it in. But if you know what you're good at and you know what you are and take it for what it is, they're trying to help you. They're not trying to hurt you. And that is big, I reckon. I tell young guys all the time, if you get reamed out of training, if I yell at you, I'm just trying to make you better because – You affecting the team. You not getting off the ground quick enough, or you having a moment because you missed a tackle and then you go head high someone. Like, is that did that make up for it, or did you compound and like, but like getting feedback and being able to take it and take it for what it is. It's quick feedback, or it's you need to change something, and maybe you ain't perfect. And I think that's where I had from all my misses and failures that I was like quite open to go. Okay, how can I get better? As if you're trying to help me, I will listen. And then I always went and seek feedback, even when I played good. Like, tell me what you what else I could have done better. If I played bad, okay. And if I missed tackles, I go see the D coach. Okay, like, what do you think I could have done better? Go get it. Don't avoid those shitty combos. Go and face them. You feel better after. And take it on. Your coaches or mentors aren't trying to hurt your feelings by giving you feedback. They're trying to help you. And some things you might just go, oh, no, nah, you're wrong. But don't show them that. That shows weakness. Take it in. Go, yep, okay, cool. I'll, t- I'll, I'll think about that. I'll take. A, write it down. And if you think about it and then go get more understanding. Okay, I heard you say that, but what did you mean by that? And that's the best thing, I reckon, around Taking feedback because I feel like it's way softer now and they still don't take it well. (laughs) Like they think they know.
0: Yeah. It's now that that's such amazing advice, man. I, I really am excited for people to tune in and hear that from you. Like it's also one of the things that I'm learning in business. Like after 14 years as a pro rugby player, that was my whole adult life and going into business, what I've learned is. Especially, you know, like you say, this this younger generation that's been way more like immersed in like social media and 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 kind of a slightly different mindset to, to potentially when we were growing up with rugbyers. But but throughout my career in sport, you need to learn very quickly that the feedback's gonna come direct and quick there's no fucking around like there's Instant. no time for pleasantries and and actually often it's the opposite and you got to learn as part of the team to take it digest it implement whatever that le- the learning was and do it with a smile on your face cuz no one's got time in a team for someone moping around feeling sorry for themselves and you need to have a mindset of okay I need to take that not personally I need to hear what it is that I need to work on and I need to understand what to do and I need to be a good teammate and I need to go out with a smile on my face. And I'm sure you can relate to it. Sometimes that's freaking hard, man, because you'll you are like you feel you do feel hurt sometimes. You do feel like, oh shit. Like so it's something that I'm learning a lot about going into business. That world of sport where it's real direct and real hard and fast feedback. A lot of people aren't used to that. They want it sugar coated, or they want it to be, you know, really a lot of pleasantries involved, or, or some people just don't want feedback, you know.
1: I think so. with that, like the and the resilience, I think is our young generation, and like the resilience factor. Like I don't think they the diversity is not as hard, like the parenting's not as tough. You know, it's a little bit more sugar coated for sure. And 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 I'm a father, and I'm definitely trying to be more hard but it's hard to be hard on your kids I, I get it but I think the thing that I feel like is when coaches in that test you or people have an opinion or do something they actually want to watch how you react to, because that's the biggest sign of what you show so how you react So if, like for me if I've been I'm on the bench or I've been you're not playing that week coaches watch more they're like how are you going to react now you're not the guy And that's when you've got to be really good. You've got to be even more on time. You've got to be even more energetic at training. You've got to be even more positive. And that's the mark of a player who is not bigger than the team or my situation or poor me. It's awesome. I'm gutted. I'm not going to show you. I'm strong, but I've still got a job. I've got to help you prepare to play or whatever it is in your situation of business or work. But how you react in those situations is key. You can only react the way once. And if you turn up, if you drop your head, if you get sulky, this is BS, um, poor me, that's wasted energy. And your body and brain know that. So you go home and eat Maccas. You go home and have a cake Zero and ice cream, poor me. You've, you've, you've missed a beat. This is a chance to be awesome. And this has been awesome is fronting up, still smiling because you're not the guy or the person that weak. And they will notice it even more. Like, how did you fight back or were you resilient or did you just give the guy your jersey and have it, bro? I quit. <laughs> mm.
0: Nah, it's, a, it's an unbelievable mindset, man, and it's just completely relevant to all walks of life. And it's one of the the things, you know, like throughout my life and and different sort of challenges that that i'd faced growing up and that kind of carried through into my my rugby i didn't have that understanding you know and i can look back and i know there were times where i let myself down and and then you know i've seen someone like yourself that's just been able to go keep on pushing to new levels and what what stands out to me is there's a mindset because things weren't always, things aren't always smooth sailing for you. You were no different. You would have faced different challenges in your life and in your upbringing and throughout your career and doubted yourself or felt down and out when things didn't go your way. But there was an understanding like, okay, I need to be able to look myself in the mirror and know, am I doing what's best for me and for my team and the people around me? And for me, Being able to look at people that I see have been able to do that and be inspired by that and learn and evolve and develop that understanding for myself. Because now, you know, rugby was an amazing opportunity for me to live a a much better life than the way I'd grown up. But I know I, I made a lot of mistakes and I missed and I left a lot of opportunities out there because I didn't fully understand the mindset to grasp it. But I'm grateful for that journey because now I'm aware of that, you know, and then mm. speaking to yourself and, and chatting and being able to share that insight with other people from your mindset, I, I hope can like help other people to consider, okay, doesn't matter what's happened to date, like now I can start and I want to be able to look myself in the mirror at the end of every day and say, okay, I might not have got it right, I might not have got it, the perfect, or this mistakes happened or I responded badly in this way. But what can I do to learn and develop and be the best version of myself?
1: But I think like that, bro. Like the, my my <laughs> the story definitely sounds like it's a big positive uh, spin on like like overcome and all that. But I had some dark times a few years back for sure. And one thing I will say is that I looked in the mirror and I didn't like who I saw and. It was hurting my family and people close to me, and I got help. I got a lot of help. I went to therapists, Some got a lot of help, and and I just put my same mindset into getting better, trying to be a better person, and I'm still trying to be a better man. And every day, it's every day you've got to keep doing it, every day, discipline to be better, and I'm not perfect, you know, but I'm trying. And I'll try every day to be better than yesterday. And every day from bad situations is a day further away from it, you know. So, and I get, I still see a therapist sort of once a month if I can. And got my lady in Dunedin IC and Dunedin and I see. And it's sometimes it's just a vent session about, you know. And sometimes it's a, a boot up the bum from her, like you need to stop having a pity party. Your life's not that hard, or, you know. They always have gold, and I think. When you know you're going to see someone and talk to someone to help you, you can actually, if things are under pressure and family and work and your job and kids, you, you know you're going to go have your outlet and get help. And I think that's a big one for me is, like, that's helped me a lot in my career is, yes, you've got your rugby mentors and coaches that you can go to and your best mates for certain things, but there's some things that a professional can help you with. And I, I, once I found that, I was like, they unlock doors that you didn't know were there, and sometimes they bring out stuff that you didn't want to know about, but it's always good. And it's uh, like, for me, they're like dumping sessions and sometimes pee parties, but to be able to go to someone and empty it, it's like, yeah. And some people aren't about it. I was not about it till I started seeing it helping me and cleared my head and helped me guide me on a path that I could be proud of the man mm. in the mirror, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's amazing, man. And and I think going through some tough times, like you said there, where you didn't like who you saw in the mirror. And, you know, there were times where even like the dream that this underdog from young fellow from fielding worked, you know, you they left you out the team because there was things that you needed to work on and things like that. But the fact that you were able to truly look in the mirror, and I'm sure that was hard, man, because I know times in my life you know i remember i the last thing you want to do is look in the mirror because it ain't sometimes it ain't nice you don't want to accept what you see but that's the first step to like being like okay here's the new beginning now you know so i think it's also a powerful part of your journey that you have been able to do that because i mean it sounds pretty deep but i truly believe there are people in life that never look in the mirror man they'll blame external things outside of themselves for whereas sometimes the best thing we can do for ourselves and those around us is is be able to take accountability and responsibility and might not feel good in the moment but actually in the long run it's the best thing you can possibly do and I'm the same as you man like we're Kiwi kids that grew up in New Zealand we're like I don't remember talking about my feelings ever like as a kid and especially growing up like you know having rugby being such a big part of who you were and your identity from a young age like we were taught or you learn not to express weakness or emotion you know so i was very resistant to you know talking and opening up but again like yourself when i finally accepted, okay now i do need to talk to someone being able to have someone ask you questions about yourself or your perspectives or your behaviors that, that allow you to express them and reflect on them, it starts to unlock things in yourself that you didn't even know about yourself, you know, that were just kind of like things that weren't serving you, that were just part of you, that you just, that you weren't even aware of, man.
1: And even things that imprint on you from your upbringing you didn't know stuck, it eh? And then you're like, that's why, well, you know, like you grew up around this or you This happened a lot, or you're like, oh, and then she's like, well, that actually has this effect. And then you're like, oh, man. Like, but yeah, like you said, it's, I think it's about if you feel whatever, talk to someone. Like, there are people out there, man, that can help. Sometimes it might be someone, your dad, that you can go, hey, or your best friend. But like I said, like, if there's someone and you don't feel right, like, go, there's people that can help and help a lot.
0: Yeah, man. Now I, I remember bro, like because you know, when I I had a slightly different path. You know, I made the blues really early and then under twenties and then had a sort of like a long term contract with the blues and, and stuff like that and and I saw you, you know, yes, you run under twenties and you were actually a much better player and talent, I, I still believe Dave Rennie was Putting you on the bench and swapping us in and out because he was he was trying to make sure you kept your head and bided your time and <laughs> stayed humble. That's my strategy. But I, I had a point in my life where things really derailed for me around sort of 21, 22, a lot of drinking, fighting, gambling, getting into a lot of trouble. And it wasn't until I had this moment, man, because I was denying it. I remember my brother would come to me and be like, bro, you're ruining this amazing opportunity you've worked so hard for. What are you doing? You're in it. Come on, man. You're acting like an idiot. And I'd be like, nah, nah, nah. Deny, deny, deny. And I knew in my heart, you know, I knew in my heart I was suppressing like feelings and heartache from losing my dad and, and all this stuff. But I'd never wanted to face it. And I remember I, I finally accept. I need help. And I got the help and it was the best thing that ever happened to me, man. And I could look back on all those challenges that I faced, the trouble that I got into, the heartache, losing my contract, all of that. And I look back at it with gratitude because it allowed me to have a new perspective on life. And I actually remember, bro, I'm not sure if you remember, but there was a point where, you know, you were going through a real tough time. And I was like, man, I know Aaron. He's a fucking good dude. He got a good heart. I know what it's like to get bogged down in clutter and not not know what to do and how to deal with it. And then you may like, maybe the way to solve that feeling of down is to go drink or, and then you make bad decisions and then you end up hurting people around you. And I remember you, and for you, it must have been even worse because you're an all black and you're, you're in the newspaper. And it was like, and I remember reaching out and I was like, bro. I've been through some shit, man. Like if you want to talk or if I can give you advice or if I can put you in touch with this person. And I just remember, you know, like you, you responded, you were grateful and appreciative and, but I think you'd been and put in touch with some people, some therapists and stuff. And man, I, I, I just hope that there are people out there that, that cause everyone at certain points in life goes through different challenges, man. And it's not, it doesn't define you, you know? And I, and I, and I think it's so amazing.
1: You'd be surprised, like, you, you, I was at the top of the world in my mind and, like, you know, and then you're public enemy number one. The people who care showed up and I remember your message and, like, I texted you back and said, bro, thank you. But I was, the one lucky thing was with I was able to get the best help possible in New Zealand, you know, so, yeah, it's, and that's the thing. And, oh, man, like, your journey and, like, I said to you off here before was I'm so proud of where you are now, bro, like, bro, you're, like, changing the game and you know man it's it's crazy and mad uffy for that bro it's like inspiring in the sense of what you're doing over there and you're creating a movement bro and you're helping people and bro it's mean so like you know 2008 about june we were rocking in the changing room celebrating with champagne but i was just like very like yeah beyond and then you know uh I hope to. I'll be in England one time and we could catch up and if you're back, you can meet my kids and stuff. But, man, you're like, yeah, I'm proud of you too, bro. Like, I listen to your podcast with other people and Jimmy Marr and, you know, I, I remember you telling me about your upbringing in Auckland pre-20s and, like, you tell me we were working in that and, like, you know, how you are doing – you were pretty tough and doing some pretty, pretty heavy stuff and I was like, bro, it's mean. And then, you know, to see – Listen to your journey on other ones. I was like, mate, like, from what I see and, and how hard you work and the guy I know you are, yeah, it's it's so cool to see, bro, as well. So this isn't just all about me, but I just wanted to make sure that they all know you're a special man and, bro, keep going. Like, man, just, bro, you're already killing it anyway, so.
0: Nah, man, means a lot, bro, and uh still, like I said, very different paths from... 2008 when we first Connected but shit man how long's that that's that's 14 Nearly 15 years that's crazy Bro but uh, very different Paths You're but,
1: all now, maybe.
0: Yeah bro <laughs> but you lucky you got That fresh fade still looking good
1: I had too.
0: Nah I, I think I think if there's There's one thing I'm taking away from here You know that I, I hope other People can pick up from you is No matter how Good you are like you're never the finished article and taking pride in that process. I love that you got that red notebook there that you're still filling out your goals. They say that writing something down and looking at it makes it so much more tangible. It's like they say when, say you get a new pair of shoes or a new car, you know, you start spotting it everywhere. The brain works the same way when you write down your goals and you have them, you have clarity on them because you start to live it you don't just think of it as an outcome you want to get to you live the values of that achievement now and i and i know seeing where you what you've achieved and and how you've gone about it uh you and speaking to you and getting those insights today
1: but i think with the goal setting too goes and it's like at the start you write them you're like this is bullshit <laughs> this yeah. is dreaming yeah. and then and then because you've wrote it down and time goes each day away you know that you don't even need to look at the first page because you know what's on it, but then you still look at, oh yeah, but then it's like start things start clicking in your head and then it changes because it's like, is it possible? Oh, if I keep doing this, this, that could happen. If, if, if I do my part, we might win that or we, it's, it's so powerful and to think you can just dream your goals up in your head. Well, it's not going to happen, but like you've got to have, you know, and, and understand you're not going to have good days either. Like, Some days you're going to go, I want to rip the book up. But I take my red book with me everywhere. Like I'm on the road at the moment. And in TV series and podcasts and things, there's gold nuggets everywhere. Some things hit with people different and some don't. And I write notes down. Something I saw at the gym that was like, oh, that's a good movement. When I did Fitness Today, that might help that. Or there's gold nuggets everywhere. And write them down. Because for me, if I write something down, it goes in here. But if I type it into my iPad, it doesn't work. And I remember having an average year at rugby and that was the first year I went to an iPad and nothing kind of stuck. And then I went, no, I've got to go back to my red books. And, and yeah, so it's the power of, what is it, the secret positive thinking. If putting it out there into the universe, it comes back to you. Well, it's so powerful.
0: No, man, that, that creating it as something tangible and that is clear in your mind, Allows your mind to to bring it to life, you know. And man, no matter how much you succeed or how good you are, Aaron Smith's an example. Always keep your notebook and write it down, bro. There you go, man. There's only one thing people take from this. But I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up, bro, with some quick fire questions. All right. And so I've got a few questions here. You ready to go, bro? On the on the old quick fire. All right best player of all time Dan Carter Dan Carter
1: I like, like I'll, I'll give you a bit of like like McCaw and that but I think like in pure talent of a rugby player like Dan Carter was like this is this, this, uh, the most gifted player I've played with in tackle run pass kick high pressure situations like I it's, it's you could flip a coin with them too, but for me, it's yeah, Dan.
0: Yeah, you obviously play with Dan Carter a lot. I, I had the opportunity one time, man, and I and I will never forget it. So after our under twenties World Cup, I got invited to All Blacks training camp, and I got to play in a practice game for uh, for All Blacks versus New Zealand Barbarians. And Dan Carter, so I got to play for forty. Was that
1: before the World Cup?
0: Ah, uh, yeah, it was. It was before they were heading away on a tour. It was at Waitakere Stadium. And I think it was only because, like, what, one of the Jimmy Cowan or someone was in, like, a final, so they weren't available, uh, so they needed me to fill in. and so I you played care, for but...
1: the All Blacks before me, <laughs> no.
0: Oh, no. Unofficial, <laughs> unofficial, bro. Unofficial yeah, practice a, game. Oh, yeah,
1: it, bro, bro. It counts. You passed yeah. it
0: down, That's what's up. 1-0, bro. Don't matter what happened after that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I was the first. That's it. Hey, right,
0: The thing that I was am- the most amazed about was He was, he was very, he was actually really quiet But when he spoke, it was just so clear Like there wasn't noise It was just, yeah bro, like, or, you know, like whatever the call was It was like, yep And because he commanded such respect and he had such a cool, like, calm demeanour he could say something or just cut through all the noise, and it was like the easiest, clearest communication I'd ever had from a ten. But it was so minimal, bro.
1: Yeah, it's like calm, clear, and then he's just like, and his body language is saying it's all good. Like you know, you're like, I'm. Like, I was, I played a lot with him, but you know, yeah, when I was younger, I was like quite like, yeah. And he'd be like, okay, nuggy, we're gonna go to the middle, and then you box kick, and yeah, I was like okay cool and like he just carried that and and the swagger and then obviously as a fan as a kid and watching him like you know before I met him was like this Dad Carter like, he was already like that for me and then I got to meet him and then and then to be honest as a bloke he's just as good like he's such a good dude so lovely like to be that kind of cool famous scucks, he is like the first guy to like buy a coffee or hang out over there talk to you about your family like He's
0: a good man. Yeah, I remember we in the training we we played some game or something, and then the loser had to buy the winner or or the buy them a coffee or whatever it was or whatever. And and I lost, and he he won, and then so I remember shitting myself at the hotel after the training, and I was like, oh hey bro, uh, do you want your uh, what do you want me to get for your coffee? And he was like, nah, fuck that, bro. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, this dude is the man. And you know what it was. This is a bit cringy, but I, I was like only like twenty years old and I was out in a nightclub in Auckland and out walks Dan Carter and he walks out the door and I was with like my three of my mates, just my hometown mates that I hung out with. And then he walks out and he's like, Oh hey Grace, I just says hello and I was like, Ooh, I was, <laughs> my my mates like just But 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 that's it like he's him he, He's just a fucking chill, cool, normal dude. dude, man. And, so and I think what you were there, saying like. there, like, I played 40 minutes. You played, Brady, hundreds and hundreds of, of minutes of rugby alongside that guy. And it's cool that what you shared there is I think the ability to let people around you know that whatever's happening, we got the it's okay that's a powerful leadership quality, man, and I think you, you're expressing that now with with those guys around you, bro. So it's, it's, you learnt from the best, man. But right, my next that was that was a long fire, but that was fucking <laughs> some quality. <laughs> All right, best player in the world right now.
1: De Pont to be.
0: Oh yeah, Pont or, Depont,
1: or um, oh, I say Artie, but like De Couple of year run, like bro. Like as a nine, I'm proud. I'm like, yeah, he's a gun, bro. And like, but Adi, I felt like he got robbed, bro. But just because we didn't go as well, I think they put that against him. I think if they watched the whole calendar year, but hey,
0: and I, and I think that's going to be a blessing in disguise, oh, for Adi because it's like what you said. You know, there were people, Light the fire, people that, man. yeah, that's bro. Watch out for Adi Severe this year, bro. Imagine Holy it, driven,
1: shit. Even more uh, driven.
0: (laughs) Yeah, nice. Uh, And, okay, if you could take one of DuPont's attributes, what would it be?
1: Oh, speed, bro. He is fast. I don't know if the speed and power, he's got power and speed, but he got gas. So, yeah, that would be it. Yeah, like the gas footwork, he's just like a, a winger in the open field.
0: Yeah. Okay. Here, here's a here's a one I'm gonna throw in there. If you could take one of the Clerk's attributes, what would it be?
1: His like bravery or like passion. eh? like he he won't step down to nobody. And I don't know if I'd step I stepped down a few times. You know, he don't care. He he's the same weight as me and that, but he's Mike Tyson and a and a half bat, He won't care. Anyone in front of him, he'd he'd go down. I reckon so. His uh. Yeah, mana or bravery.
0: Yeah, nah, he is a hearty dude, bro. Best coach of all time for you?
1: Uh, Wayne Smith. Coach like, coach, like player coach guy, like teach you a skill, critique you, make you better, help you set goals, do things. Uh, Wayne Smith. He's the guru, bro. The professor. He Look what he did with the Black Ferns in one year. Hey, bang. And I had him for a few years and like the impact he had on me, Uh, It was massive, and I still talk to him, you know, when I can, and he gives me golden nuggets all the time.
0: Yeah. No, that's amazing. Who's your most talented teammate ever?
1: Ooh. uh, Probably a newbie, actually, uh, Geordie Barrett, I reckon.
0: Yeah, that dude's an all-rounder, eh? I
1: hope he doesn't get a big head with this, but he he can do – there's not much he can't do, mate, uh, except be sure. But <laughs> honestly, like golf, cricket, basketball, whatever. He could do a lot of sports for New Zealand right now. Like absolutely. And hand-eye, golf, he's got like the touch. But like as a rugby player, can do it all. He could play in the forwards if he wanted to. He plays anywhere in the backs as he showed. And pure talent. I think he is a freak of a talent.
0: Yeah. No, man, he's a bloody... That's sick to watch. He's a weapon too, bro. And
1: he can play angry, like absolute angry, like can destroy people. And he scares me. When I play him in the Hurricanes Highland, like I try, yeah, he's scary, bro.
0: <laughs> bro and he's still got so you much. Don't get to a nickname go.
1: the Grub for nothing. He is a Grub. He is physical <laughs> and he he's trying to run through you or hit, hit his shoulder through your ribs when he tackles. Like he is, yeah, you, you make sure you know where he is.
0: Yeah, he's an all. He's got. Uh, he's. He's an all rounder, isn't he? Most annoying teammate you've you've ever had.
1: Oh. I'll go Izzy Dag. I roomed with him a couple times, and he stole my clothes and like all my training socks and stuff he could fit and shit everywhere. And I love Izzy, but when you were his roomie, it was like yeah, it was like living in a bloody. Yeah dorm room just shit everywhere. I'm quite like meticulous in that and his his side of the room was just like PlayStation set up, Coke Zeros, chips yeah. Dagger he's a lovely guy though, man. Izzy Dag is uh he was a funny and he was always a bit of a joker too, so he cracked me up. But
0: yeah. (laughs) Most underrated player throughout your career, whether it's a teammate or someone you played against.
1: Richard Buckman, for a couple of years there for the Highlanders, he I know we have Ma Nonu in that, but like he could do it all tackle, jackal, pass, fast. But unorthodox, but he was an outstanding rugby player, man. Like trusted him with any like in the year we won it, he was like one of our best players by far and just an unsung hero, gifted. And I, I would put him in any team I had. Like he is so good. Yeah, like Richard Buckman, and he didn't get his dues paid.
0: Yeah. He was a bloody joy to watch, bro, because you just look at him and you would think that nothing special is going to happen and he could do some unbelievable stuff, eh?
1: Unbelievable, man.
0: Yes. All right. What is your favorite Pure Sport product?
1: It's the Joint Balm. I love using it on my my left patella. So my left patella is my uh, stepping leg when I do step and my plant leg when I kick. So it gives me a bit of grief. And then uh, I used it on my, I tore my groin last year too, so I was using it on my groin. So it's a amazing product and it's my favourite.
0: There you go, keeping uh, Aaron Smith young and uh, out there on the field. 2023, bro, is, an, is a massive year. Uh, what an exciting time for you bro third world cup right and i know your focus is going to be completely all in on that i mean this podcast today shows the type of mentality you have that you you live for each play at a time bro let alone uh season at a time but what is next for you bro it's been an unbelievable journey you're the most capped scrum half of all time you have deservedly been named one of the greatest scrum halves of all time. I mean, bro, that is unbelievable, man! Like, uh, and 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 I know people from this journey, uh, this conversation. You know, your aspiration at the beginning was to show your dad that you could play for the A team for Fielding Rugby Club. You've gone on to be the ice, be noted as one of the greatest scrum halves of all time. What is next for you, bro, beyond twenty twenty three after you bring home that World Cup?
1: Well, firstly, my, my goal is to play well for the Highlanders, to be selected for my third World Cup. So that's what my true, I, that. true that see, that's the mentality
0: version. right there. Nothing's a given.
1: I ain't giving any hot take on I'm already in the team or not. I like I wanna get back, start for the Highlanders. But um yeah, definitely this is my last year in New Zealand, so looking to take my family overseas and get an experience, and I think it's going to be great for us when the news comes out or when it breaks. And it's hard to um, commit like this for so long, and it's time to, uh, you know, I uh, like one more year, I can do that hard out easily. But to keep doing the super, to keep trying to be an all-black, it's hard, and it costs and now I've got kids and I've got my body. It feels great, but, you know, it, near the end of years it feels it and it's starting to. And, and then your mental capacity to want to keep doing that, I think you've got to know when to kind of get off. And I feel like and no matter what happens this year, you know, it's my time to kind of move on and, and let and and enjoy and try something else. But also... Give my family the time they need a bit to, and still be able to do what I do, and that's the goal. And I know I can't be the best version of me if I'm not able to prepare and be a hundred percent like I commit now. One more year, I can do that and commit and sacrifice. But it's getting to that point like it, it costs a lot and a lot of energy, and you know you just don't want to play past the point where they're like, oh, you used to be good. I don't want to be like that. I want to be like, oh, I went out on my own terms. I didn't get deselected or something. Like, I went out when I was ready and hopefully it's, uh, yeah, what my red book says.
0: Yeah, bro, that trusty red book has been an absolute essential. But, nah, man, I just want to say from me, from the connection we had 2008, seeing what it's meant for you how hard you've worked the relentless uh, application to one percent better never resting on bro some people might get 10 caps 50 caps 100 caps and think fuck yeah for you like even the way you answer that question nothing's a given you're always grateful you're always trying to better yourself you've overcome personal adversity professional adversity i'm so grateful for having the connection with you seeing your journey and i know the new zealand the people of new zealand are are grateful for being able to see you and the passion and that application you bring to the all blacks jersey and what that's inspired in many people and i'm excited for your next phase bro but most of all i'm excited to see you in the last dance bro 23 in, in new zealand soil and thank you so much bro for for being on this podcast and just being open and sharing your journey appreciate it man
1: nah. you the man bro thank you so much for this opportunity to talk and hopefully help but most importantly you know like our journey and friendship from winning a world cup together in the black jersey G. like no one can take that away from us some people may not care but to me and you that was to that point that was my biggest highlight of my career and
0: that was the start of something special bro that was a start of something and i think it was something that showed both of us that actually whoa, well, we are capable like we can achieve something that we thought was way over here out
1: of the picture yeah
0: you know so it might be it might be a blip on your what you've achieved now obviously it but still it means was, a lot for him it yeah. was it was the start of something you know so it's become a long way 14 years but now nah, i am appreciate you coming on bro and we will uh we'll, we'll catch up very soon
1: thank you my boy peace
0: thanks brother <laughs>